Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Jumps to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. Seven Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, we're back after a little bit of a break during the doldrums of the offseason. How have you been over the past couple weeks? I've been pretty good, Max. It was it was good to have a little break, not going to lie, but it's also great to be back with you. And I'm looking forward to the mailbag. We always have plenty of fun with these ones, and as always, the listeners have thrown a ton of questions at us. Yeah, they really have. And yeah, me, me too. Like, I would like to do one of these every single week. That would be ideal. There's just not a lot to talk about right now, David. There's not a whole lot going on. <laughs> exactly, which we'll probably get into very quickly with the uh, recap section that we like to do up top here. Yeah, and we do appreciate the listeners providing our content for us because we actually do have an interesting episode uh, for you guys here. And it's going to be a two-parter. We got so many questions. So excited about that. Uh, today, we're going to talk about DeAndre Ayton, uh, the coaching uh, of the Phoenix Suns and also general NBA stuff. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Also a couple of stupid questions at the end because uh, some of our friends on Twitter like to ask us stupid stuff, David. <laughs> they sure do. And yeah, it's good to throw some general NBA stuff in there too because we do like to touch on that and uh, probably get a little bit of feedback from that from the listeners because I think both you and I would like to throw more general NBA stuff throughout the season on the pod. So we always get good feedback, but uh, the listeners can let us know if they want us to throw that in but I'll, I'll go to the recap here max if you're ready for it yeah let's do it yeah not a lot of news as we said to go over at this time of the year so the suns did announce this week though their medical team max and i had a little chuckle at this because very little discussion took place when the suns put the presser out about their medical team and you know in conjunction with uh the big outrage that there was when aaron nelson left i thought that it was um, you know, funny to say the least that uh, everyone wanted to discuss Aaron Nelson leaving, but then no one really gave a shit uh, that the Suns have announced their full medical team. But to, to run over it, Brady Howell looks to be the new boss in town. He comes from the Atlanta Hawks and Utah's G League affiliate, I believe. And he's joined by David Crew, who comes from Memphis. And Daniel Bove is one of the holdovers from the Suns staff last year, I believe. But Max... The World Cup was run and won while we took mm. our break. I'll go over it a little bit more in Did You Know, which is a bit of a uh, a giveaway for you and, and the listeners. But Spain won over Argentina. Rubio was uh, one of two sons in the tournament uh, and also won the MVP, which I'm sure most of the listeners saw and got excited about. And the other son was, of course, my guy, Aaron Baines, with Australia coming fourth after losing to France in that third playoff game. So Spain, Argentina, Australia, and France round out the top four, with the USA finishing a lowly seventh, Max. Mm. Yeah, it was not a good performance by the Donovan Mitchell-led Team USA. Was it? <laughs> it was not at all. But to finish, we're only a month away, believe it or not, for that first game against the Sacramento Kings to start the regular season. So a few key dates between now and then, Media Day got announced as September 30, Max. Then they head off to training camp as per usual in Flagstaff, October 1 to 4. There's an open practice back in Phoenix on October 6, which maybe some of the listeners will get along to. I sure won't. And preseason <laughs> games starts on October 8, Max. But speaking of Media Day, what's the one prediction you can give me for a very predictable storyline out of media day, Max, maybe someone putting on weight, someone losing weight, you know, so, all those ridiculous stories that we get out of, out of media day. I hope this one ends up being true, but whether or not it's true, there's a 100% chance we're going to get DeAndre Hayton's a totally different guy this year. Yeah. He's come back with a, a completely different mentality, ready to, ready to dominate yeah, yeah, yeah. the NBA. 
Hope it's true, but it's definitely going to be a story. <laughs> and probably a very, very good segue into our first bunch of mailbag questions here, Max, in the main section. Yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, we're going to start with DeAndre and we got three questions on him, all of which I, I really liked. Uh, we'll start with at Gabe Moreau, who asked David, where would DeAndre Ayton go in a 2018 redraft right now? Uh, I had a lot of fun with this. It was really interesting, particularly to look at the back end of a top 10. So I'm not sure if you've got your pre-draft top 10 there, Max, but I wrote mine down quickly because I had it saved somewhere on my computer. And as most of the listeners would know, maybe some new ones don't. I had Luca and Aiton as 1A and 1B. Then I had Jaron Jackson Jr. Mo Bumba was my biggest miss. I had him at 4. Trey Young at 5. Carter, Bagley, Michael Porter Jr., Mikhail Bridges, and Miles Bridges to wrap out uh, my top 10. And a redraft, to me at least, Max, looks very, very different to that right now. Hmm. So give it to me. By the way, also, I'll answer this question after you because I actually didn't do, like, based on my own rankings. I did what I think would actually happen. So you go ahead and give yours, and I'll I'll go through that. All right, cool. So Lucas stays at one for me. Aiton is still number two but grouped with Trey this time. So I had Luca and Aiton 1A and 1B. I think after mm-hmm. one season, Luca really separates himself from the pack. Uh, and I've put Aiton and Trey together. Many would argue after Trey's back half of the season that he probably deserves to be above, um, but I'm still quite high on DeAndre Aiton. Uh, Jaron Jackson, four. SGA jumps all the way up to five for me. I leave mm. Carter at six and Bagley at seven. And then a bit of chopping and changing here. I would actually put Mikhail at eight. I'd have Mitch Robinson at nine. And your boy, Landry Shamet actually comes into the top 10 for me, Max, which was a little bit of a surprise as I went through it. But uh, I think he deserves it. You know where I had him last year, David? Uh, you got to tell me. Number 10. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, I did this a little bit differently. I did what I think would happen if they redid it. Yep. Um, I decided not to do, like, if the Suns, Kings, and Hawks redid it, because I think they probably just do the same things. That's kind of what NBA teams do. <laughs> yes. Uh, they don't like to admit mistakes. So I just did it in a vacuum. Like, where do I think, uh, you know, where would the average team take the guys? Uh, I said Luka would go one. Um, I think he pretty clearly, you know, has established himself as the best guy in this class, at least right now. It could yep. change. Uh, Trey, I think, would probably go number two just because he's a primary initiator. I think those, you know, NBA teams value those guys more. Yeah. Uh, and I do think Aiton would go three. I think that teams would – he showed enough for teams to be willing to gamble on him figuring out the defense. Because, uh, you know, after you get past Luka and Trey, it's kind of a gamble regardless. JJJ, you need him to get a little better offensively, lead him to, you know, cut the fouling out. Mm-hmm. Bagley's sort of a high-reward uh, high guy. So I, I think Aiton would probably go three if it was all done again. But I think it's a really interesting question. Uh, let's go ahead and move into the next one. This is from at Joshua Pasco 11. Who do we expect from Aiton's draft classic, the biggest leap and where does Aiton sit among that group? This is a similar question, David. It is. And it's a great question to follow up from that initial one, because yeah, we can get into the, the nitty gritty of why we would rank certain guys, certain ways. I think your point on Aiton and, and JJJ is perfect. I think, you know, out of all the bigs, which Aiton, you know, as well as getting compared to Luka Doncic, I think Aiton gets compared to a lot of the bigs from this class as well, because mm-hmm. we had a, a exorbitant amount in that top 10 originally, even if you throw in guys like Mo Bamba as well. So, you know, I think Aiton was probably the least insulated out of all of those bigs and, and probably the most exposed. So I think, you know, I love Jaron Jackson Jr., had him at three, now have him at four, uh, but I think, you know, he got the luxury of um, just kind of slotting in perfectly, playing a fair bit with Marcus Gasol to start his rookie campaign. Uh, then they had Jonas Valanciunas. They'll probably still have Jonas Valanciunas starting at center, which will be interesting because I think, you know, to best maximize Jackson, he's probably a five. Um, so when you're looking at who's going to take the biggest leap here, I, I think there's a, a big argument that you could go with DeAndre Ayton. I've got four guys um, but before I rattle those off, I'd be interested to know who you think is the most prime to to take that leap. Yeah, I had a group of guys too, and I agree with you. I had Aiton in the, among the group. I think you know if the defensive leap comes, it could be really big for him. He has a lot of room to improve. I think, and not not necessarily mean that in a bad way. Just there's a, he's very talented. There's a lot of room to get good. Uh, I also put JJJ in there just because I think he's he's so young. He's a year younger than Nathan. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's, again, a lot uh, there to uh, upgrade on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wendell Carter I have in there because I think he really had a kind of a disappointing year, but there's a lot there still. Yeah. So I think you know, public consciousness-wise, I could see him blowing up the most compared to where he is now. 
And then I put Bagley just because I think there's a chance Bagley's like a super freak, and that could happen. So what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much on the same page with you. I left Jackson and Bagley out. Um, but yeah, Aiton on a competent team now. Uh, you know, 19 wins last season with the Suns. Everyone listening knows just how that went. And yeah, I think you make a good point. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I think this is the intrigue for everyone with DeAndre Ayton is he could make some real strides on top of the productive season that he had last year and, and make the biggest leap out of all of these guys. I think Luca, I've thrown in there just fitness and experience-wise. I think we could see him make a, a real leap, which I know Suns fans will hate seeing, but I think it's definitely <laughs> on the cards. You know, Trey is a, a rookie point guard going into his second season. I think that experience can always see a guy, you know, really jump out. We even saw it kind of pre and post uh, all-star break with Trey. So if that keeps going, um, you know, he could be the guy that, that makes a real leap. And then, yeah, I had Carter too, just because of health. Didn't play yeah. a lot. Uh, the Bulls, much like the Suns, have, have seemed to go out uh, this offseason and, and be focused on just putting a competent team on the floor, which helps develop some of the younger guys that they've got. So, you know, the Carter-Laurie... Um, back or front court, I should say, is a really intriguing one that has some other pieces in there that they've got to work out. But yeah, he's one for me that I guess just from the general NBA fan that doesn't watch a lot of uh, other teams might all of a sudden go, geez, who's who's this guy? I didn't, I didn't see him mm-hmm. at all last year. So yeah, the, the interesting thing for me here, Max, is I think as much as everyone wants all the answers after the rookie campaigns here, I actually think year two is going to answer a lot of questions on these guys. And I think we might be more ready at the end of this season coming to to really have some, you know, not hot takes, but solid calls on who we think these guys are. You know, we've discussed it a lot with De- DeAndre Ayton. We don't need to go over it too much. But, you know, after this year, we're really going to have a lot of these questions answered, particularly because of what the Suns have done in the offseason. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and that leads us pretty well into our next question. Uh, from at David Stat Guy, he asks, if Aiton doesn't make any meaningful strides this season, his sophomore, second year in the league, what's next? Like, what, what does this team do? That's kind of what they're building around here. So I'll go ahead and take the first stab at this one because I kind of, well, I agree with you that the second year is big. It's going to be, you know, doubling our sample size. And also, you know, once you get past your rookie year, you're, you're supposed to take kind of like a leap as a player. Yep. That's generally what it's supposed to happen. I would want to remind people, though, that it's not always how it happens, right? There's a lot of players who take their leaps at different times. You know, progress is not, you know, uh, it's not linear. It'll yeah, we're just, go we're, leaps and bounds. We're just trying to get to that second contract, Max. That's <laughs> true. I think Aiden's done enough for that. We're, we're, we're <laughs> uh, but, like, you know, like Oladipo broke out, like, kind of early middle of his career. Nash yeah. was obviously late. Kyle was, like, Kyle Lowry was, like, mid-late. You know, not everyone's there in Fox with that quintessential second-year leap that Fox took, but mm-hmm. I do agree with you that you know it's the most, it's in a lot of ways the most important year for most guys. And so, if DeAndre Ayton, as the questioner asked, is uh, <laughs> isn't showing medieval progress, it's it's going to be concerning, David. It's going to be hard to sugarcoat that. Yikes! Is the first comment that I've got written down here. If DeAndre yeah. doesn't or or regresses, I guess the the first thing we need to define here is you know what are meaningful strides because I think. You know, we're, we're too obsessed sometimes with statistical output and, uh, you know, looking at the, the box score with a lot of these guys or pulling up basketball reference and, uh, you know, making decisions on whether one season was better than the other. You know, I actually think, and we've spoken about this quite a bit, Max, Aiton could put up the exact identical numbers or possibly even worse next season and have me way more excited about Absolutely. his, you know, future. And, and that's going to come down to, you know, if... There's increased motor, increased aggression around the paint on both ends, you know, extra rim protection, hopefully some signs there that we see. If we see some of that, you know, look out. That's where you're going to be really excited about DeAndre Ayton. I really don't give a shit about his points and and rebounds and efficiency that can put him in, you know, those certain categories with other, you know, generational bigs that uh, basketball reference can do. So... David, if a single more person, uh, a single new person shows me PER again and talks about Aiton's rank there, I'm just going to go insane. <laughs> I, I know he gets a lot of defensive rebounds. I can look at the defensive rebounding category. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, that's not what we're looking for here. That's that's what Enos Cantor does well in and, and DeAndre Jordan. Like He needs to improve. And some of those stats we talked about the other the other week with Gerald, some of those rim protection stats, that, that, he doesn't need to be the, the world's best rim protector, but he needs to not be the world's worst. 
yep, I, I could care less if he goes from 16 and 10 to, say, you know, 20 and 12 if all the other things that we spoke about with Gerald are, are still happening because, you know, I got... I got uh, probably trashed a little bit on Twitter for this comment, but you know, 16 and 10 isn't that important to me. And it's actually not that impressive. It's, it's pretty easy to replace in today's NBA with, with some smaller guys, particularly the, the point production. So, you know, if he's not doing those other things, that's where it becomes a bit of a disaster for me. And I think that's where we look uh, the, the reason I love the question is that's where we look back on the 2019 off season as being a real disaster. Like you and I, Despite our love for Culver, Clark, you know, other moves that the Suns could have made, I think we've been largely positive because we at least get what the plan is here for the Suns and they've they've gone out and executed it. But it doesn't mean that it's not totally risk-free, Max. And, you know, no. if he's, uh, you know, not taking meaningful strides as David Stack guy defines it as, then that's where you're like, all right, we need an actual second piece with Devin Booker because Aiton's not going to be that. And that's where you start to look at this offseason and go, they really missed a chance to improve. And it could be one of the first, you know, signs that you could point to of, of Devin Booker asking out because if your number one pick doesn't live up at least somewhere to near where he should be, that's when your franchise guy is going to go, you're not supporting me. And like with all the other stars that we've seen leave teams, that's generally the first thing that they, you know, quote to is uh, the team didn't do enough to put pieces around me to keep me in Phoenix. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think that, yeah, the future of Devin Booker in Phoenix depends largely on what DeAndre Ayton becomes. So let's all hope very, very, very strongly that it becomes good. Uh, David, ready to move on to the coaching? Yeah, let's do it. I, I can read these ones out if you like, Max. I'll, I'll go with the first one, which I think you liked the most, which was from Scott M. Gower, at Scott M. Gower on Twitter. And he said, I had forgotten Monty is our coach. Is that a good or a bad sign, Max? I really did like this one because it's kind of true, right? We kind of all forgot about it. No one's been <laughs> yeah. talking about this at all. And it was like, it's in a lot of ways, like the most impressive thing the son did in the offseason, not so much because of Monty Williams being a great coach or not. We don't we don't know that yet. Mm -hmm. But they made a major commitment to him, something they really haven't done in the Sarver era. And they also reportedly kind of stole him away from the Lakers. Like, that's things that, you know, the Seed doesn't usually do things like that. So, in some ways, it was really the most meaningful thing that happened, and we don't talk about it. So, that's why I liked it so much. Uh, and to answer the specific question, a good or a bad sign, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a sign that the rest of the offseason was very controversial. How about that? Yeah, I think it's a sign of that. I think it's also, you know, nice to appear to have uh, a little bit of stability and, and, you know, less drama, at least when it comes to inside the walls at the Phoenix Suns. We obviously are still yeah. having to put up with a lot of the, the commentary from outside on transactions that they make and stuff. A lot of, of it is justified as well, so I'm not going to complain about that too much. But, you know, I don't think we're in a position where we're going to see, you know, the GM fired eight days before the season starts like it was last year. Or, you know, as you said, with that giant commitment, we're probably not going to have to worry too much about rumors about Monty staying with the team, at least for a few years as well. So that's kind of what I took from the question. Maybe it's the calm before the storm here, Max. But, you know, it is really, it's quite remarkable that we got Monty, to be honest. And, you know, we'll have that team together for a while with James Jones and uh, results are still going to matter into the future. But, you know, that's what I took from the question. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I've had plenty of time to, to get over the firing of Igor and plenty of people have told me to get over it as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm ready for, for the Monty Williams era. And as we'll get to with these next couple of questions, uh, we're not too sure what to expect, which uh, will be really interesting to start the season here with Monty Williams and the Sun. So I'll throw to the second question uh, which is from Hizzy underscore 19 on Twitter. Uh, big fan of his. He's always throwing us questions, which I love. And he said, what type of basic offensive and defensive scheme will the Suns use to take full advantage of the talent on the team? What are your thoughts on that, Max? It's a good question. I It's a hard question to answer without really knowing much about what Monty Williams is very, going to do. Very hard. So yeah. 
I can say what I think they should be doing mostly, and uh, some of this comes from listening to Dunk Don, which I know Boo hits everybody needs them. Uh, <laughs> they had Michael Schwartz on though, and he he was great on there. He was. And they were just talking about how you know if Aiton continues to you know excel as a finisher, and now they have Rubio and Booker on the team, both you know pretty good in the pick and roll. Like that really should be their bread and butter, right? Pick and roll offense. Yeah. That should be what they're doing. It should be, yeah. It should be everything that they're doing. All the action should be be coming off that. You know, it could be a little bit predictable, but yeah, that's your biggest strength. I think that's what they should be doing, Max. Yeah, and defense, I think, is just be switching a lot. Make it as simple as possible on these players. None of them really know how to play defense. Uh, You know, something, I Mikel does. Uh, Rubio does to an extent. But, you know, I would just make it as easy on these guys as possible to be able to be okay if they just are consistent. I think you need to drill into these guys the importance of just bringing it every single night and you know you know playing in the same scheme always. So if you do like a switch everything kind of scheme, first of all, you know it kind of takes advantage of what Aiton does well. But I think it should be easy for everybody. What do you think? Yeah, I think Monty's going to have that ability over Igor to get the guys to buy in, even maybe when the results aren't happening early on. I you know I commented yeah. with Igor a lot. A lot was going to depend on results for for them to start uh, thinking that Igor was you know worth his weight in that locker room. Whereas I think Monty already commands the respect of a lot of these players. So yeah, as far as defense goes, I had the same thing, you know, after doing that eight and study with, with the, all the blocks that he had last year, Max, I, I'm big on switch. I think they should be doing it. Um, you know, basically exclusively when he's on the court, yeah. you could probably change things up a little bit with Aaron Baines. He's probably more yeah. of a, a drop down in the paint type guy, type center. But, you know, it starts with defense. Uh, I had a look up at, you know, what we do have from Monty. You know, at Portland, when he was his first assistant, he was 28th, 26th, 17th, 13th, and 15th in defense with Nate McMillan. So started off pretty bad and then got good. Uh, head coach at the Pelicans, it kind of went the other way. 10th, 15th, 28th, 27th, 22nd. And then more recently is probably what we can look into. And this is the intrigue with Monty is, you know, that head coach experience was five years ago now. And then he was with uh, OKC, who were the 13th best defense, Philadelphia that were the 15th, uh, and also spent some time with the Spurs in the front office, which are always a pretty Mm. good defensive team as well. So, you know, this is a big unanswered question. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but a lot of people have discussed that he was both slow on offense uh, and bad on defense as a head coach. Uh, And, you know, I think since then the game has changed and he has been at some organizations that uh, not only prioritize defense, but also playing a little faster. So it'll be really interesting to see whether he has developed himself as a coach there, Max, because uh, yeah, on the pace thing, again, Portland, quite funnily, were 28, 28, 29, 30th, and 30th in the NBA in pace. New Orleans were 29, 30, 29, 22, and 27. And then again, OKC 10th in the league, Philadelphia 8th last year. So, you know, that's the big thing. And probably the biggest question offensively for me, Max, is one that I'm thinking about a hell of a lot a lot of smart people that I like and follow on Twitter seem to be thinking about it too. And you and I have spoke about it quite a bit. The biggest question for Monty right now on offense for me is, will he stagger Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio? Because just like yep. you mentioned with the pick and roll stuff, having one of those guys on the floor at all times, if pick and roll is something that they're going to be doing a lot of, it is also something uh, Monty did very well out of many of the things that he didn't do very well at the New Orleans uh, Pelicans or may have even been Hornets at the time, I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, that's who they're going to need on the court. And I think they, they've really got to do it, Max. Uh, I think they need to do it assuming health. It's going to be really difficult if, you know, say Tyler Johnson goes out for a while. Like, you're just not going to be able to get away with that. You're going to have to play those guys together, I think. Yeah. Or, you know, if Ty Rome is ready right away and he can contribute, maybe you don't. But you're going to need to have another guard out there with them if you're staggering them. And if the Suns don't have another adequate guard, they're not going to be able to get away with it as much. Yeah, I agree. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. I don't think we'll see much of Ricky Rubio in the preseason because of his World Cup stuff. So uh, yeah. that's, a, that's a question for about a month's time, I would imagine, that we'll be waiting on to see. But we can move on to the last one here, which is from at Fortimosity. Rate the Suns' new coaching staff. Max, I'm going to take a stab here that you don't have 
much to say when it comes to rating the new Suns coaching stuff. So I'll throw to you first for any thoughts that you might have. Sure, I do have thoughts. Uh, I like the Monty thing. That's cool. And the only other thought that I have is I like getting the Gonzaga big man development guy. I thought that was a smart thing to do. Ricardo uh, Foy. Ricardo Foy. I wish they would have taken the big man he developed, but uh, I will. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be satisfied with just taking him. He's he is very well liked uh, around you know the basketball world. So I'm excited to see what he can do with uh, DeAndre Ayton. What do you think? How many times did we try and read the tea leaves with you know hirings and trades and you know, it just ended up with disappointment for us. I remember, yeah. you know, they got the Gonzaga big man. They worked Brandon Clark out. It was all, you know, it was all lined up to happen. What that? What the fuck happened, Max? I'm not. I'm not doing things like that anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, every single time we do something like that, we try to read tea leaves. We're just, we're just awfully wrong. So exactly. Sorry, not worth doing it anymore. Yeah, but I, I read over the press release uh, after they announced uh, the full coaching staff, just to kind of get of an idea for a lot of these guys, and also. I guess where they are in the, in the pecking order, and there was a few surprises from that respect for me. So Willie Green was listed up top and also coached the summer league team. So I think we can say that he's essentially the head assistant and a, a bit of an apprentice here as a 37-year-old, I'm going to say, to Monty Williams. So uh, Monty and him, the great thing about all these is, uh, and probably the big point that I want to make out of this is, Monty Williams was able to pick his entire staff and that's no surprise is probably one of the reasons they actually got the coup in getting him to to come across i'm not sure that was uh also the case for igor unfortunately but uh monty and willie uh were together in new orleans when monty was the head coach willie was still there as a player and of course willie comes across from golden state so when we're talking about pace and defense and things uh and monty maybe not having that in his past at least uh his head assistant here is probably going to, you know, have a lot of experience there. Uh, Darko uh, Rajerikovic, and I've probably absolutely butchered that, and someone will tell me that I have. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of eagle light here. He's known as an offensive guy, um, you know, running sets. I think one of Monty's uh, big negatives that I've seen around the traps from his time in New Orleans is he wasn't good at kind of after timeout plays and stuff. So that might be Darko's role here. And uh, they were together in OKC, as was Mark Bryant, who I'm calling the Aiton doctor. I don't think we had a great big man <laughs> coach last year. So uh, again, he's from OKC. Plenty of time with Stephen Adams, uh, plenty of time with uh, Monty Williams when he was at OKC as well. So that's where that one comes from. Uh, Randy Ayres is... Uh, 63 years old, I believe, off the top of my head. So he's the big experienced member and maybe a bit of a right-hand man here for Monty Williams to lean on. They were also together uh, at his time in New Orleans. And then to round it out, two guys from his Portland days. Larry Greer is a bit of a scout. Uh, and Steve Blake is probably the guy that the listeners and, and us are most familiar with uh, as a former player. And I think he's probably going to be more on the development side. And I love what you mentioned there with Ricardo Foy as well, because I think that's worth noting. I think they've really invested in that side of the business as well. And he's known as a bit of a big man whisperer. So hopefully, you know, when it comes to rim protection and things, that's where uh, we see his value with DeAndre Ayton. Uh, ben Strong came across from Philadelphia. I guess Williams stole him coming over from the Sixers. And also a new video coordinator, Ryan Fraser from Milwaukee, Max. So we don't know a lot about these guys. Hopefully they stick around a lot more than the last regime and we get to learn a little bit about them going forward, Max. Man, you just spent five minutes talking about something where I didn't know any of people's <laughs> names. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, as a kind of a meta point on this, the reason why I don't follow assistant coaches very closely is because it's kind of impossible to know if they're doing good or bad jobs. Correct. Know what they're doing, yeah. really. So it's really hard for me to get into it. Uh, I hope he did a good job hiring these guys. Like I said, like Ricardo, but yeah, not other than that, not a whole lot of thoughts on it. Uh, I'll go ahead and move on to general NBA if you're ready, David. Let's do it. All right, this is from at Outrenting. I thought this one's interesting. It's if Indiana or Phoenix didn't sign Ricky Rubio, who else in the NBA would have wanted him? It's a great question. Uh, obviously, we don't know the answer, but I did a little bit of you know. Guessing, mm -hmm. that's a little speculation. Yep. Uh, Chicago and Orlando made some sense to me. Yeah. Uh, particularly Chicago, they're really ramping up to seem, you know, kind of a competitive. Uh, we'll get to our previews at some point, but I think they're going to be actually kind of good this season. 
Uh, Dallas, I thought, was interesting. Uh, you know, they didn't seem to care about shooting when they got, uh, oh, what's the head? The guy, DeLon Wright? Yep. So, yeah, that would maybe make some sense for them. Um, but my guess, ultimately, I don't think he would have had a similar uh, situation to Phoenix. You know, sort of a rebuilding-ish team, team on the rise, big contract. I think it would have been more of a one-year prove-it deal with a contender. And I actually landed on the Lakers. I think he may have gone to the Lakers had he not gotten a big deal from one of these uh, one of these bad teams. Yeah, I very much agree. We've probably got our first question, which we do quite a lot here, where we uh, haven't spoken about it, but have pretty much got the the same thoughts. Uh, you know, we <laughs> we did our exercise, and he, uh, you know, graded out to be around a fifth, top fifteen to top twenty point guard in the NBA. I think out renting actually ended his question by saying that he thought that Rubio might be out of the league, which I think is probably going. A little bit too far there out renting but yeah I'm similar to you I think he would have ended up on a shorter deal maybe a one-year deal at, at inflated money uh, we saw New York throw a lot of those around so that was another team I'd throw in there uh, Charlotte obviously went with Terry Rozier but you know similar money they might have gone to Ricky Rubio uh, I actually love Dallas the most like you said and I also had the Lakers there as well so not much more to add on that I think you covered it off pretty nicely there Max out of the league. It wasn't that bad last season. He didn't have a good year, but he wasn't that bad. World uh, Cup right. MVP. World Cup MVP, Max. It's uh, it's a rejuvenation tour for Ricky Rubio next season. Can't wait. Uh, at Cody Hunt 11s, Cody Hunt, rank these title contenders. He asks us to rank Golden State, the Los Angeles Clippers, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Houston, the Lakers, and Denver. So I'll go ahead and start. I see a few tiers here, actually. Yeah, and that's uh, his. Think, that was his order too, I believe. So shout out to Cody. He's he's all in on Golden State. It looks like because that was his uh, initial order of how he would rank them. Max, I do think they're underrated in this. So I don't have them in tier one. I, my tier one's the Clippers, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. Yep. And I haven't ordered that yet. I'm still deciding. I, I really want to go for Milwaukee. Come on. Like, you know, just the, do it on I'll the pod. The consistency. Do it on I the like, pod. I mean, I'm, go, I'm going to do it on the pod. I just haven't <laughs> thought about it up yet. That, that'll be my preseason prediction at some point. But I think it'll be Milwaukee, so I'll go ahead and give you that hint. Um, tier two, the Lakers, Golden State, and Houston mm-hmm. I have. Um, again, not really an order. I might put Golden State number one on that, actually, if I'm going to pick it now. Uh, and I don't think Denver's on, on really the legitimate title contender tier, to be honest with you. I think they're definitely a Western Conference Finals contender. They almost made it there this year. Yeah. Uh, but unless Jamal Murray takes a huge leap, I don't, they don't have the closer. I, you know, obviously Jokic is awesome. He's not the closer that you kind of need in these kind of series. Yeah. Um, I actually have Utah above them and Boston in the same tier, I think. So that's kind of how I see it, David. How do you see it? Yeah, that's. I was going to throw at you, like, I hadn't thought about this. It was a question without notice. Like, who else can we throw in there and... Uh, Utah had slipped my mind. I think they're definitely a good one that we could throw into the mix as a, a potential one to break up this uh, top seven, it looks like, from Cody. But yeah, Clippers are clear number one for me. It's still absurd that you know that really competitive, uh, fiery team from last year's playoff run and uh, you know took Golden State to a couple of games, stole off them, which was really interesting. And then they mm-hmm. go and add Kawhi Leonard and... Paul George. So they're the clear number one for me, even though there's some chemistry stuff to work out, and that'll be really interesting to watch. And the health stuff's a little, a little uh, dicey as well. Yes, yeah. But I think even with a bit of their depth, they might be able to cover some short-term stuff there too. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, Philly and Milwaukee, I had two and three, so very similar to you. And that's kind of just by virtue of the fact that I think they're clearly the best two teams in the East, and, and one team from the East has to make the final. So, you know, an East team is going to have a, a pretty clear shot, just like last year with Toronto at, at being up there. So that's why I ranked them there. I got Houston fourth. I think they'll be good as much as there's been commentary around Russell Westbrook. I think, you know, if anything, he's probably an upgrade on Chris Paul last year. And, uh, you know, they were pretty good still last year. Lots of continuity there. So that'll be interesting to see. LA and Denver, I've got in a little mini bracket of just not trusting them. Probably very similar to you with Denver on your thoughts there. But mm-hmm. LA health and, and roster-wise, some things could potentially go pretty wrong there. I will say if they can kind of keep that main core together and healthy and ready to go come playoff times with a an okay seeding, then you know people are not going to want to play LeBron and Davis in the first round, that's for sure. So... We'll see with that. And then Golden State is just the the toughest one to um, judge here for me. And just injuries, I think it's going to be too hard for them during the regular season to get a good seeding um, to do any damage in the playoffs. But we'll see. They they could be a really 
uh, like LA, another dangerous one that you know maybe finishes seventh or eighth, and and one of these top teams have to play them in a first round, and uh, I would not want to be one of those teams, Max. No, me neither. That would not be good. Uh, I do want to briefly uh, touch on Houston. I don't know if I said this in the podcast yet or not. I said it on Twitter. I think they're going to be the best team in the regular season by far. I think they're going like, to have a lot of, like, you know, plus over 60 wins just because, man, I mean, they're going to stagger James Harden and Russell Westbrook. How do you, like, <laughs> no bad team is ever going to beat them. I was going to say, we, we're talking about staggering uh, Booker and Rubio and that being crucial to our season. And then you can just go and stagger James Harden and, and Russell Westbrook and, and play just full balls at you for 48 minutes. Like, imagine being in the second unit and, and having to come up against Russell Westbrook. That's just not fair. Sorry, Tyler Johnson. I don't want to win very many games against that team. I'll say that. Uh, all right, next. This one's kind of fun. So, at Sean42AZ, he wants our anti-all-NBA team. So, meaning, who we think are the worst starters in the league at every position? Uh, first of all, before I get into it, I think it's fun that the Suns don't have one of them. Yes. That's nice. It's a nice upgrade because Isaiah Cannon probably would have been the point guard last year. Uh, so this year, here's what I got, David. Let's I go Let's guard, go I... one for one. Let's go one yes. for one. Yeah, I, would actually, I was just going to suggest that. Yeah, that's more fun. Uh, right. I have DJ Augustine as my point guard, Dave. Ooh, a bit of shade at my guy DJ. I think I drafted him in our fantasy league, so I'm hoping he's <laughs> a little better than uh, the worst point guard. I have Colin Sexton with honorable mentions mm. to Terry Rozier, Ja Morant, uh, and that's no shade at him, just rookie point guards. Ugh. Uh, and Dennis Smith, I think, is an underrated one. I think he's fallen mm. off a cliff. Yeah, I considered all those guys. I also considered, I, I couldn't quite get here, but it wouldn't shock me if Reggie Jackson was the worst point guard. If he just fell off yep. even further. Uh, shooting guard, David, if this is actually who's starting for the Cleveland Cavaliers, I feel like Brandon Knight is a shoo-in. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I cheated and went whoever starts at shooting guard for the Cleveland Cavaliers <laughs> because the list is Brandon Knight, as you said. Uh, they might go Darius Garland with Colin Sexton, which would be hilarious. Uh, Jordan Clarkson... Matthew Dellavedova and Kevin Porter Jr. That's your options if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers for starting shooting guards. So whoever it is, is probably going to be the worst starter in the league, Max. How could you say that about your guy, Matthew Dellavedova? It's <laughs> Deli. Uh, I was, I was uh, rough on him in Australian colors. So that, that says all you need mm. to know about how I feel about Deli at the moment. Got it. All right, so small forward. This is an interesting one because he plays on a very good team. I had Glenn Robinson the third. Ooh, I am going to tell him myself here. Who the hell is Glenn Robinson the third playing for now? He plays for the Golden State Warriors. Ah, he does be, too, yeah. It's either going to be him or McKinney. Alfonso McKinney starting at the three. And either way, I think you can make an argument that that's the worst small forward in the league starting. That is rough. I found Tony Snell on Detroit who mm, was yep. slotted in at small forward. And shout out to Joe Johnson, because if you look at the depth chart, unless they do something pretty uh, funky with their starting lineup, there's an argument that Joe Johnson might be the best small forward on the Detroit Pistons, Max. I can't believe he got an NBA contract. Like, I, <laughs> I understand that ISO Joe was able to dominate of like an old man's league, just ISOing every single time. I just love the thought sense. that there was scouts going to big three to, <laughs> to watch guys. Like That is just ridiculous. I hope they were drinking at least or something. That just sounds <laughs> awful. Uh, all right, power forward. This one hurt me a little bit because I like this guy. I had Miles Bridges, who was listed as the starting power forward for yep. Charlotte, uh, yep. with Mike Muscala in parentheses. Say if Miles approves a lot. Yep, this one hurt me too because I like this guy. Uh, the only DeAndre Ayton poster that I can think of from last year. Davis Bertans is slotted in mm. at starting power forward for the Washington Wizards, who I've just got an extra note here, sad face, because just going up and down that entire starting five and roster around Bradley Beal is uh, yikes. Yeah, it's not good, David. <laughs> uh, all right, my center, and I don't know if it says actually starting at center for Cleveland or not, but he was listed on the website I was on. It's Tristan Thompson, David, who's falling off a cliff a bit. He was my second place uh, purely because, yeah, I had a similar doubt of whether he would actually be there or not. Uh, another one that hurt me, poor white guy, Cody Zeller, I think is the worst mm. starting center. And again, Charlotte, like Washington, there's some some really bad positions when you look at the depth chart there at the moment. Yeah, that there are. Yeah, Cody Zeller has had moments, but man, he's never been able to put anything together consistently. So Yeah, he might be like the best does. backup center in the league, which I guess <laughs> qualifies you to possibly be the worst starter in the league, Max. 
Yeah, that is a good point. Uh, David, I think that's it for the uh, general NBA stuff. You want to go to Did You Know? Let's do it. Now, Max, I know you didn't really pay much attention to the FIBA World Cup, but did you know three former or current sons were all in the all-tournament starting five? I'll make you a deal here, Max. If you can tell me who they are, I won't give you another test for the rest of the segment. Oh, man. That's very nice of you. For the listeners who don't know, I'm watching Kyler Murray right now, so it's it's tough for me to answer questions and watch Kyler Murray. <laughs> but uh, uh, obviously Rubio. Yep. Uh, Scola. Yep. Oh, man. This guy, I'll give you an extra clue. He didn't play yes. for the Phoenix Suns, ever. He didn't play, but he was a... Oh, so he was like briefly on the team? Oh, shoot. I should know this. I don't know, David. <laughs> Let me out of misery. Third one was Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, along with Marcus Sol and Evan Fournier, round out what they call the All-Star Five of the FIBA World Cup. Shouts to Paddy Mills, who should have been in that starting five. But of course, all of those guys are NBA players with the 39-year-old Scholar, the only one currently not in the NBA. All in all, 53 current NBA players competed in the 2019 World Cup, representing 17 of the 32 nations in China. That's 41 NBA players from outside of America once you subtract the full 12-man roster for the USA. And on top of that, many ex-players competed as well, some of which were for the 15 countries who didn't have a current NBA player. Now, despite not getting that first question right, Max, I won't test you here as there's some seriously <laughs> obscure names, but headlining the ex-NBA players from nations who did not have any current NBA players were Lewis Scola, as we said, who wound the clock back for the second place Argentina. Shout out to Jeff Allen, who threw the question out at us when we asked for the mailbag. Is Lewis Scola the greatest son of all time after his World Cup <laughs> performance? Uh, Andre Blatch competed for the Philippines, who many Australians listening were probably happy to see finish last of all 32 nations after our little fight with them probably a year or so ago. And Yi Yanlin from the host country, China. There were also more known names like Rudy Fernandez from Spain, Anderson Verigel, Brazil, Nando De Colo from France, and Andrew Bogut from my country, Australia, who left the NBA but played for teams with many other current NBA players also on their country's roster. But to bring a Suns flavor to the segment, Max, as I always like to do, not a test, just a random question here. How many players do you think link back to the Phoenix Suns from the tournament? And I'll give you a clue. Think of the name of our podcast. Seven, David. <laughs> In order of when they spent time with the Phoenix Suns, we first have... Leandro Barbosa, the 36-year-old, played for Brazil, who finished 13th in the end, and the Blur put up 13.6 points for the tournament, just a tick over his 11.7 points average while with Phoenix in the NBA. Luis Scola, the 39-year-old, who took Argentina to the second place, as we mentioned before. Scola put up 17.8 points, 8.1 boards, and 1.8 assists in 30 minutes, which is significantly better than the 12.8 and 6.6 he posted with the Suns in 2012-13. Hamed Haddadi, the 34-year-old big man playing for Iran, who finished 23rd in the tournament, and he put up 14.6 points, 10.8 boards, 4.4 assists, and 1.2 blocks, which goes without saying is a lot better than anything he did in Phoenix or in the entire NBA. Bogdan Bogdanovich, as I mentioned before, who never suited up for the Suns, unfortunately, and looked prime for a big year in the NBA after 22.9 points on 55% shooting for the fifth-placed Serbia. Quick question thrown in here from Josh Pascoe on Bogdan Max. Do you think he would be on this Suns team if they didn't trade him before he came over to the NBA? And I guess with all our development issues, would he be this player that he is now, or would the Suns have ruined Bogdan too, Max? I hate to be negative, but it kind of feels like they would have found a way to screw it up, right? <laughs> I feel a little bit different, because his game was kind of already developed before he came yeah, over sure. to the NBA. So I think he might have been more in that Devin Booker bracket of, of knowing his game and being able to 
uh, I guess, supersede the Suns' very, very poor development. But maybe not quite the player that he is. But Georges Papianis is another guy that never actually played for the Suns, but he wore a Phoenix cap on draft night and played a bit part role for the 11th placed Greeks. My man Aaron Baines for the fourth-placed Aussie team. Baines had 11.4 points per game and shot out of his mind with splits of 58.5 from two, 52.4 from three, and 90.9 from the free-throw line. And last but certainly not least, Ricky Rubio, the tournament MVP and champion, who led Spain with 16.4 points and six assists for the tournament. Now, Max, 2006 was the last time the USA lost major men's basketball tournament after losing the 2004 Olympics also, and then, of course, went on to redeem themselves in 2008 against a Spanish team that had a 17-year-old Ricky Rubio on it. Joe Johnson was a member of that team with Phoenix Suns ties on a roster that included LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, and Dwayne Wade, all around the 22 to 24-year-old mark on that team. Perhaps a bit of a sign that raw young talent can only get you so far in all forms of basketball. So I thought we'd end with the current Suns roster and where they all were back in 2006 when the USA last lost against the rest of the world. The Suns franchise was still led by Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni about to embark on a 61 win regular season in the seven seconds or less era Suns and the back end of our last ever playoff streak. Newly appointed head coach Monty Williams was an assistant coach for the Portland Trailblazers in 2006, where a rookie Brandon Roy was about to start his first campaign, a player Monty keeps comparing to Devin Booker any chance that he gets. General Manager James Jones was in the middle of his first stint in Phoenix as a member of that seven seconds or less team as a sharpshooting small forward. New point guard Ricky Rubio was just 16 years of age and becoming the youngest ever to play in the EuroLeague at that time. Backup center Aaron Baines was competing his or completing, I should say, his freshman year at Washington State, where he put up 5.2 points and 4.1 rebounds in 16 and a half minutes. As for the rest of the roster, Max, they were all in their formative years of even playing basketball and below. Tyler Johnson would have been 14, starting high school at St. Francis in Fresno, California, where he failed to make the varsity team, apparently. Frank Kaminsky and Dario Saric would have been the only other teenagers from our roster, with Ubre, Carter, and Owens the only other current sons above just 10 years of age. From there, Suns rookie Cam Johnson leads a pack of nine other current Suns under the age of 10. Johnson, Booker, Bridges, and Diallo would have all been 10 in 2006. Kramer, Jerome, Harper, and Okobo, nine. And DeAndre Ayton as the baby of the group was eight years old to round out the rest of the roster. A final fun fact to end, Max, Ayton wouldn't have even picked up a basketball for another four years when in 2010, the noted soccer and tuba player was scouted as a 6'5", 12-year-old Max, who might be decent with a ball in his hands and not at his feet. And that's it for this week, Max. I think the plan now is to have a bit more fun with some of the quick-hitting questions that we got from guests, uh, from listeners for the mailbag. Yeah, let's do it. And I appreciate you that extended and very interesting, uh, did you know, allowed me to watch Kyler Murray dominate, go down the field, score touchdowns. So thank you for that. <laughs> yes, uh, Kyler. Go, Kyler. <laughs> at Geniseros asks, outside of winning a championship, what does Devin Booker need to achieve to be considered the greatest Suns player of all time? I thought this was a really good one, David. I think, I actually think it's more possible than a lot of people might think. Mm-hmm. I think if he just stays healthy and on the Phoenix Suns for his entire career, it's kind of likely that he gets there. He's going to put up a lot of stats if he stays healthy. Say he plays till he's 36 and always in the Suns. He will lead the Suns in like every every stat, basically. Uh, he could end up top 10 all-time in scoring. It's not it's not likely, but it's possible. If he does things that are like this, like, you know, leads the, the Suns in scoring by a significant margin, uh, gets up the, the all-time leaderboard, I think he can get there even without winning a championship. I can get, you know, as long as they're not horrible, if they're a perennial playoff team, not even necessarily a very good one, but, you know, like a Portland or like an early decade Memphis, I think that would be enough. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to use this question to push my Booker uh, as the number one Sun scorer before 2025 theory here, Max. So the next five years is Booker's uh, 
first extension with the Suns. So as you said, if they can keep him for just that time, let alone the rest of his career, he's currently on 5,820 points. The record is Walter Davis, some just under 10,000 points above that at 9,846. So 1,970 points per season for the next five years. And for context, in his second year, he had uh, 1,726 where he played 78 games. Uh, and last year where he only played 64 games, he had 1,700. So he's got to you know lift that scoring average up a little bit. But if he plays 70 games a year, over the next five and averages around 28 points per game max, he might actually be the Suns' leading scorer before this contract is even over. And that gets him in the conversation as the best Sun of all time, even without a championship. And hopefully on the back of that, as you said, they're at least a perennial playoff team, which would help his cause, Max. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. They've never really had like a big time scorer for a long time. Mm-hmm. They've had you know brief stretches where Stoudemire was out there, Barkley, but they never had anybody who was like thirty points a game or, or flirting with it for you know seasons on end. Yeah, exactly. We're not we're not used to seeing that, so we don't know quite what to expect. But uh, yeah, he's going to miss some time, obviously. But uh, I think you put it out there more recently that he he could be a thirty point per game scorer this year if everything goes right. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be watching that that scoring leaderboard uh, start with the Suns. And then, as you said, he might even, uh, as his career goes on, end up in uh, all-time scoring records, which would definitely put him in the conversation as the best son of all time. All right, at the Harding Cup, he is Evan Harding. He asks a fun question because it relates to the seven seconds or less era, our namesake. What if Sean Marion, oh, sorry, what if the Sean Marion for Shaquille O'Neal trade never happened? I think this is a really fun one. A lot of Suns fans like to uh, toss this one around. Uh, I think they probably make the Western Conference Finals that season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were leading the West in wins. I think the entire league in wins at the time the trade was made. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think they win it, though. I think they lose either Boston or the Lakers. They may make the Finals. Um, and then I think Sean Marion probably ends up leaving somehow anyway. People tend to overlook that he wasn't happy. That's yeah. part of the motivation behind the trade, I think. So I think it's eventually something was going to have to happen. So I don't... I don't know if it's as monumental of a thing as sometimes Suns fans like to view it, but I do think we would have been much better that particular season. What do you think? Yeah, I think that was the best chance when I looked at it. Uh, it's a bit of a depressing question as far as, uh, mm-hmm. as much as it's a great question. I loved looking at it. I kind of looked at Marion and, and kind of, you know, he won that championship in Dallas as a pretty key cog of that team uh, in 10-11 at age 32, yep. and he was traded... Uh, at age 29. So if we look at those kind of four years as the window that the Suns essentially missed out on, you've got 07-08, as you said, when Boston won, Phoenix lost in the first round, had Shaq. Uh, We missed the playoffs the next year when we had Shaq. Uh, Lost the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers in 09-10 without Shaq, and then missed the playoffs again in 10-11. But the really interesting thing for me here is your core would essentially be Amari Nash, Grant Hill, and Sean Marion very modern, you know, the seven seconds or less have often been called ahead of their time, and uh, they would have been more ahead of their time here if they really uh, just went all in with that and, and didn't do the move for Shaq and get bigger. As you said, I think Kerr gets killed a little unfairly because of the behind-the-scenes nature of, of Sean Marion, but really interesting, in that four-year window, if we call it, uh, of the rest of Sean Marion's prime, those other three guys played a lot of games compared to what you remember their reputations being. So Amari played 79, 53, 82, and 78. Grant Hill played 70, 82, 81, and 80. And Nash... That's nuts. That, that one right there, can we stop there for a second? Unbelievable. That, that was so nuts. Yeah. And then Nash, who was pretty durable, at least in his time in Phoenix before things fell away, played 81, 74, 81, and 75. So that four-year window... Those guys were healthy as much as we always talk about the years that Amari was out or Hill being unreliable. So, yeah, that's the sliding doors moment is they could have had that core four guys all healthy for four years where Boston, I think LA twice, and then Marion with Dallas in that last year with the winners. And, you know, you look particularly at those double LA teams uh, that four core would have matched up really well with them because they were kind of playing power at the five 
Um, you know, I think they had Andrew Bynum for a little bit of that time, maybe off the top of my head. Um, and then Lamar Odom as well, I think. So, you know, it would have been a fun uh, modern style of basketball back in the mid 2000s, Max. Yeah, absolutely. That was interesting. You, have, you, you did a lot of research for these questions, David. <laughs> I, loved, I loved that question. It was depressing, but I loved it. <laughs> All right. At Son of Oz 1, the top four things that need to be true for the Suns to be in playoff contention. Uh, I interpret this as being next year. Uh, here's my order. Number one, don't be surprising. Aiton takes a leap. Mm-hmm. The most important thing. Uh, number two, stay relatively healthy, I have. I think this roster, wow, it's a lot better. It still has some, uh, you know, a lot of margin for error. So yeah. we, need, we need key guys like Rubio and Tyler Johnson, et cetera, to not uh, miss extended time. Uh, number three, I have Booker takes a leap. Uh, lower than those two, just because I think Booker's already good enough to be on a, you know, a playoff contending team. But him taking a leap, obviously, would just make it that much easier. And then number four, I have someone else taking a leap, probably Mikel or Oubre to sort of be, you know, Booker or a uh, third guy. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm pretty similar to you. So rather than to run over that one again, I'll throw to Brad Williams's question, Big Bird 1182, sure. who said, what would you rather out of Booker being healthy all season, Cam and Ty proving the right picks, or Aiton taking that second year leap and proving he was the right pick over Luca? If I'm allowed to remove that last Luca line, uh, I'm definitely going with DeAndre Ayton because much off the back of what you just mentioned, I think his second year leap, um, as much as I'd love a, a healthy Booker and, and Cam and Ty contributing right away, I think as far as the future goes, uh, him taking that leap this year will kind of give this team a real serious look for the future. So, you know, I think the things to watch out for, are, you know, maybe two plus blocks a game over three assists a game five three free throw attempts a game, as we've mentioned on previous pods, and then a three-point shot that's, you know, looking around 33% at least to start as Aiton starts shooting it. How would you rank those four things, Max, out of blocks, free throws, assists, and the three-point shot? What's what's the most important to the least important for Aiton next year? Uh, blocks is number one. Yep. Um, free, you hit free throw attempts is one, right? That's number yes. two? Yep. Uh, maybe three-point... You said steals? Wait, sorry, was steals the last one? No, oh, assists. Assist, assist. Yeah, uh, yeah I'd put assists third then. Um, but that's tough, though, between assists and uh, three-point shooting. Yeah, I think they're the, the things we want to see opened up uh, in DeAndre's game, but only after he really shows that the, the more important things are, are kind of honed in on and solidified in his game, Max. Yep. 100% agree. I, I do want to point out on that question because it's a good one. I agree with you, obviously, and taking a leap. Yeah. I would have Cam and Ty second, just the way the, the phrase, uh, question was phrased, prove they were the right picks there. Yep. I think that would be more important long-term than Booker staying healthy short-term, even though that's obviously important. Too. Yeah, I don't, I don't want a knee injury to Booker or anything like that, but if we see him no. kind of missing the odd game here and there like he has in the first four seasons, I wouldn't be uh, overly concerned about that. As you and I have discussed quite a lot, it, it happens with, with young guys in the league, and uh, we're built at least to be a little bit better without short stints of Devin Booker next year. All right, at Gabe Moreau again, this is chances of all-star appearance for Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. We'll start with Booker. Jared Huggins also asked specifically about the stat line team record Booker would need yep. to be an all-star. So I'll start with him, and then I'll let you do Booker, and then we can both do Aiton. Uh, I like Booker's chances a lot. Uh, I, I know the West is tough, but he's already there in terms of the numbers he's putting up. It just really matters with the team getting a little bit better. Yep. I don't think they need to be 500. They can be below 500. They just can't be an embarrassment. They can't be fifth the 15th seed by like eight games like they were <laughs> around the all break last year. Yeah. Uh, and I think if he maybe just improves slightly statistically – and they stay, you know, somewhat within the range of 500. I think it'll be easier than people maybe think, despite the depth of the West, for Booker to make it, just because Booker's numbers are kind of that ridiculous. Yeah, I think he. I think we have to be around 500 just because of the narrative with the Suns and the way that they're looked at as an organization. I think it's just an extra leap um, for them to make. Either that, or you know, and or that kind of 30 points per game that you've mentioned. If he's doing that, then it's it's pretty hard to ignore. But as I went through the exercise, I actually got more confident in Booker being an all-star specifically this year uh, than mm. I was probably going in. And I'll throw it out to you to run us through it, Max. So last year's West All-Stars were Curry, Harden, Westbrook, Lillard, and Clay. So five guys. Obviously, Clay's going to be injured. What about Curry, Harden, Westbrook, Lillard? Would you, are you happy to say that one of those is, is vulnerable? I certainly think 
uh, Westbrook is, just yeah. because the usage is going to be way way lower. I mean, I still think there's a good chance he makes it and probably has a better chance to make it than Booker just because, you know, he's a former MVP, he's Russell Westbrook. Yeah. But I do think there's some vulnerability there, yeah. Yeah. So let's let's throw him out. So that means Curran Harden, Curry Harden and Lillard are three guys. You're actually allowed two guards to start, two on the bench, and up to two wild cards. So even though there was five guards last year in the West, you can have up to six. So that means if Curry, Harden, and Lillard make it, there's potentially three spots still up for grabs in the West. And the others that I've thrown in there are Russell, Luca, Drew Holiday, Jamal Murray, Chris Paul, CJ McCollum, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, and De'Aaron Fox. I think Booker sits comfortably amongst that entire group where you can't categorically say any of those guys are just going to be in automatically over him. So if they do get up to, you know, adding three more spots to the West and Westbrook starts off slow and obviously Clay's injured, he is he is right up there if the Suns can be not an embarrassment, as you say. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think it's a little easier than people realize. Uh, let's go on to Aiton. Going to be tougher for him. Obviously, much lower chance. Uh, he can take a really large leap and still have trouble making it. In large part because his game just doesn't generate very much hype. Yeah. And that bothers Suns fans a lot. Um, but it's just kind of the nature of who he is as a player. Uh, so unless his numbers are just nutso, you know, he's, he's well over 20 points per game and the rebounding's at the 13. It's just like he's just like this dominant center. It's going to be difficult. What do you yeah, think? I've got it at 0% chance. Really? Uh, and, Zero? And, yeah. And listeners... Probably you're surprised that that listeners probably won't like hearing it, but um, yeah, I just, and again, it's not a shot at him. I just think uh, the improvement that he would need to even get noticed and the lack of big men in the All-Star game. I think he'll see All-Star games when the Suns have been an above 500 team for a couple of seasons and therefore you get into that really weird situation where they're kind of like, oh, we kind of need a second Sun in the All-Star game because yeah, right. they've been too good for too long and we can't just keep putting Devin Booker in. And, you know, think LaMarcus Aldridge, Rudy Gobert, you know, all guys that probably deserved one before they actually got one. I think Aiton's going to be in that camp, Max. God, that was a weird thing that you just said. The Suns someday being so good they had to find a second <laughs> All-Star to go Devin Booker. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. At CVPF22, Stephen Freeman. Who is most responsible for holding Robert Sarver accountable? He lists a few candidates. He says the fans, the media, the players, front office, Adam Silver and the other owners. Uh, interesting question. I guess I would say the uh, the media and maybe the other owners and Silver. It's definitely not anyone whose paycheck is being signed by Robert Sarver. Mm-hmm. You just can't expect players or coaches to hold accountable their boss. It's not really how, <laughs> it's not really how it works. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I'd probably, I guess I'd say the media would be my first choice. What do you think? Uh, you threw the kind of other owners and silver in there. I would say, as far as um, I guess the parties that actually can do something about it, it's those guys. So I'd probably go with them. Bit of a weird question, mm. interesting one to throw up from Stephen. But um, yeah, I'd I'd generally lean with anyone that can actually do something about it. And uh, you know, owners have the final say on pretty much everything. But as we've seen in a couple of uh, situations in the NBA more recently. Uh, the other owners in Silver are the only ones that can actually make a difference when push comes to shove. All right, we're going to move on to a couple of weird questions now. And again, if your question wasn't read here, don't worry. It'll be read next week. We're going to do a two-parter here. Yep. Uh, first, from at the Hod Pod, New Suns podcast uh, run by Max Hodder. Great guy. Give him, uh, give him a listen. Shout out and to also Max. Nipstick. And Nipstick as well, right? He's also part of this question. Yes. Uh, and I, I guess you... So I'll read it first, but... Uh, you said I guess this is a common internet question. I had never heard this before, but it made me laugh a lot. So, <laughs> if, if your significant other tells you to turn down the air conditioning, what is being asked of you, David? I I think I sit on the minority here. I think it's you're asking uh, your significant other to make the room warmer, Max. Yeah, so I that's why I like this question so much is that I, for me, the way I use it is to make it colder. I turn the temperature down. Yeah. But when I actually thought about what that phrase means, you're definitely correct. You're turning down the air conditioning itself, not the temperature. That's, uh, that's what the phrase says. Yep. And uh, so, that's yeah. that's where this becomes a, a really fun, silly internet conversation that you see every now and then. Because I think technically uh, your side is correct. Uh, but I think more logically, uh, at least I think my answer is correct. So, yeah, it's a, it's a funny one there from Max and, and Nipstick and... 
again, shout out to Max Hodder starting a, a pod uh, with other members of, of Suns Twitter that we get to hear from. So that's the main reason I wanted to get one in here with for Max because, uh, yeah, always good to see the, the community growing, Max. Next one comes from friend of the podcast, Kellen Olsen. He asks, what time is too late to eat? Uh, David, my answer to this is there's no such thing as that. You can eat whenever you want. Do not let society stop you from being you. There's, there's nothing inherently special about eating breakfast early and lunch around noon and stuff. Like, I mean, who cares what you eat? Our ancestors didn't eat in like three meals. So whatever you want to do, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I think I think Callan was looking for some kind of permission to eat at midnight if he wants to. And uh, Callan, if you're listening, you've got all the permission in the world from the Seven Seconds or Less podcast to eat whenever the hell you want. Uh, signs that I am old reason number 1027 max <laughs> i try not to eat at the moment uh after 7 30 but again like you said that is my choice uh and what i choose to do eat whenever the hell you want guys yeah signs that you're old also i'm barely up past 7 30 a lot of times so. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true i say it's like 9 30 I'm, I'm not that old yet uh all right final one comes from at scott howard 42 he asks is DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I chose because because David Scott has now replaced Rich as the number one DeAndre Ayton hater on Sun Twitter. Yep. I've decided to interpret this question to be asking whether or not DeAndre Ayton is bad because Scott Howard thinks that DeAndre Ayton is bad. Uh, so sorry, Scott. Unlike you, I don't think DeAndre Ayton is bad. How about you, David? I do not think DeAndre Ayton is bad. I said as much to Scott. Uh, when he posted this question on our Twitter page, <laughs> just for anyone who didn't uh, hear Max will follow the question on Twitter when it happened. Yes, the question from Scott in typical Scott fashion was, is DeAndre Ayton? That doesn't make sense at all. Uh, but we're choosing to throw Scott under the bus here, Max. And uh, um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm going to tweet at him every time Ayton does something good next season. How about that? That'll be fun. Yeah, every single time he like literally has any kind of good game, just uh, yell at yell at Scott. Everybody, everybody listening, please do that. Uh, that's it for us. So please, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. You can follow me at MaximCC11. You can follow David at the Four Point Play. David, anything else? Yeah, just thanks to everyone for the questions. As you mentioned before, uh, if yours wasn't read out, we do plan on doing uh, another of these next week before things start to really ramp up with training camp and media days and stuff. So feel free to tweet some more at us or any thoughts that you had while you're listening to this, especially if they're Rubio um, or wing related or general NBA related. We probably need a couple more of those, which we like to do plus some more fun, quick hitters uh, as weird as you want to get, as you've seen in this episode where we're happy to read out the weird ones too. Uh, And it is one month until the season starts and as i said we wanted 105 stars so we've still got about eight more to go in the usa on itunes so if you haven't rated and reviewed us we would love for you to do so and we're going to read uh especially reviews out especially if they're funny max so feel free to to give us a review um and make fun of us or, or give us something funny to read out on the episode we always like doing that too yep did i love the funny reviews thanks guys